Guys, we have been digging in to this uh, faith series this fall where we have been looking at uh, a practical life of faith, learning how to live a life of believing in the unseen reality of God and His kingdom. Um, as I mentioned last week, I do not want to make this some you know, theological series. I want to make it hands-on and practical for us. And so this fall, we're going to take some time to really look at how we can do this in a very real, hands-on, practical way. And last week, we talked about the reality that if we want to do this, then we, if we want to walk with God in our everyday life, then we must be comfortable with the fact that God will talk to us. Our relationship with God isn't just us talking to Him, it involves Him talking to us as well. And we must learn to develop and cultivate an interactive, conversational relationship with God. That's just the truth. We, we, need, we need to do that if we want to grow and walk in faith. And we must learn to hear from God on a day-to-day basis to walk day-by-day with Him. But that was last week. Today we're going to move on to the area of how do we incorporate the Bible into our lives of faith. And and so today we're going to be looking at the Bible, and this is part one. Next week will be part two. And I want to say just at the front here, I'm not going to spend any time this morning uh, defending or proving uh, that the Bible really is the written words of God. Uh, If you're still stuck on that, man, I totally understand that. Um, but I will not be trying to convince you of that this morning. I'm going to assume that you've already you know, worked through that and you've already crossed that barrier. Um, but I will say that if you're still stuck on that, I'd encourage you to look up on our website for Pastor Josh's teaching uh, on the proof of the inerrancy of Scriptures. Uh, he works through a lot of that stuff. And, and you can talk to him. And there are books that you can read that will really help you navigate those waters. And, and I would encourage you to make that trip. Uh, you need to. You need to be able to trust that the Bible really is the Word of God so that you can move forward in your life of faith. If you're stuck wondering, man, are these, is this really the Word of God? Then you're not going to be able to move forward. And so you need to make that, that, that journey. And... Uh, but I, I'm going to assume that, that you already have worked through that. I'm not going to take time on that. And uh, I, I'm hoping that you know that what you're holding in your hand truly is the Word of God. And I'm going to work from that premise this morning, okay? So just know that. All right, guys. As, as I just said, this is a Bible. And I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but guess what the number one bestseller in the world is? It's the Bible. I mean, it is by far are the number one bestseller in the world. And, and I don't know if you knew this, take a guess here. How many Bibles do you think the average Christian owns or has in their, in their household? Three? Five? Eight's close. What's in between eight and ten? Just a little hint. <laughs> Nine, actually. The average Christian family has nine Bibles in their house. I didn't realize that. I'm going to count mine just to see what I got, <clears throat> see if I'm average. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's funny, uh, even though people might have nine Bibles, they're always looking for another one because this new, you know, cooler Bible has come out and there's, you know, one with 
parallel, you know, versions, and you can look at four different versions. There's one with little commentaries at the bottom. There's one with a really cool cover on it that's awesome. And, um, you know, this kind of irks me a little bit because it kind of plays into our consumer-driven mentality, but they're always coming up with different things in the Bible that we can, you know, a new way so we can buy a new one. Did you realize that there is a precious moments Bible? Every few pages, there's a little precious moments and, and a little picture, you know, of verse. I'm like, come on, really? There's a cartoon Bible. Uh, there's army Bibles. There's all kinds of Bibles. Um, and, and so that's why I think it's the best seller in the world because there's all sorts of different kinds. But I'll tell you, as well as being the highest sold Bible in all time, it also is the most misunderstood book of all time. Um, wars have resulted from this book, leading to a ton of death and a ton of destruction. Uh, scores of denominations have resulted from this book, leading to separation and dysfunction within the very body of Christ. Uh, cults have, have resulted from this book, leading to many people being misled and, and being lost. And as you can see, the enemy has worked overtime in trying to uh, deceive as many people as possible from understanding the Bible. But having said that, All that is true, but having said that, the claims made about this Bible are very serious. This is said to be the written Word of God. This book is filled with sacred scriptures from God Himself. Words given to us by God Himself. God has given us a written revelation of Himself and of His purposes for mankind. There is simply no other book in all the world like the Bible. No other book has even come close, remotely close, to achieving the significance and the influence that the Bible has. It truly is the book of all books. And it's very important that we understand it and we understand how to use it in our walk of faith. Understanding the Scriptures and how to use the Scriptures is going to be a key element in our walk of faith. Um, Reading and studying the Bible is very important in our walk with God. But we must come at it with the right approach. It is so important that we approach Scriptures correctly. Because if we don't, we will experience some very disappointing results and the enemy can come in and he can do his damage all around us. Now, as I said, there's some right approaches to coming, you know, approaching the Bible, and there's some wrong approaches as we approach the Bible. And I I didn't want to do this, I really didn't, because I'm running out of weeks to be able to finish this series, but this sermon was going to be an hour and 45 minutes long if I did not break it into two different sermons. And so today is really part one. What we're going to do is spend this week looking at the wrong way to approach the Bible, and then next week we're going to, uh, you know, address the right way to approach the Bible. Okay? And I realize that some of you are going to be at the marriage retreat, and so you're going to miss the sermon next Sunday. I'd encourage you, get online, make sure you listen to it, because you need to keep tracking in this series. Okay? So let's dig into the faulty ways that we as Christians have come to when dealing with the Bible. Wrong approach number one. The Bible is too difficult to understand for the average person. So leave it up to the pastor's. Let's address the elephant in the room, guys. 
Um, I realize that the Bible is an intimidating book to study and understand. Amen? It, it is. It just is. And I know how difficult it is for us to try to figure out what we're reading. I, I, I know that. For instance, you know, a lot of times we will we'll sit down with the Bible and we, you know, we have our little quiet time or whatever. I don't know if you guys can see me. I'm just I'm sitting over here. And you'll sit down, you have your little coffee, and um, you don't even know where to start with the Bible, so you're just kind of thumbing through it, and you're like, Daniel, I like the name Daniel, I have a friend named Daniel, maybe I'll start at Daniel, I think he's the lion's den guy, but you'll, you'll just be reading along, and you come to this read, and you go, no one understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and the desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. We read that and we go, no clue what that means. <laughs> and so we read it again, and we read it again, and we read it again, and we just, man, we can't understand it. And so we come up with this idea that, you know what, I'm going to talk to Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh knows every answer in the Bible, and so I'm going to go to him. And you schedule a little appointment, and you sit down with him, and you, know, you ask him this question about the passage. And so Pastor Josh you know, will sit down with you and go, well, this is pretty obvious. Um, anytime you, you see the number seven in prophetic terms, it stands for a series of years that when multiplied by seven, it equals 1,242 years, which when you add in the years of Jubilee, you'll come to the dispensation of the Gentiles, which clearly Isaiah talks about. And, and like it says in the book of Revelation, it's obvious at this point that the Gentile age, when divided by the 62 sevens, you'll come to the arrival of Christ, predicted in Psalms 22 when he shows up as the king of Israel, which in that instance, you really can't add the years of Jubilee in there because Daniel was using the Babylonian calendar, which isn't divisible by seven, so you naturally end up with the church age, which that's when the desolation of abomination comes in. And so that's, that's what you need to know. <laughs> and you sit there and you, you kind of nod, and you want to save face, so you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. See, I wasn't, I didn't, I forgot about the Babylonian calendar. That's right. And you get up and, and you walk out of his office and you go, I have no clue what he just told me. That didn't make any sense to me at all. And so the very next step that your brain will take is, I will never understand the Bible. And if you think that, guess what the next step is? Why even try. And guys, can I just say right from the onset here, if you've ever thought that, if you've ever heard that, those are words from the enemy. Now, let's be honest, how many of us have ever felt this way? Every hand should be raised. Truth is, we've all felt this way. And, and so I can, I can totally relate. I totally can. There is so much I don't understand about the Bible yet. But here's the truth. 
I'm going to keep on studying. And I want to say this to you guys, so should you. So should you. Don't ever give up studying the Bible. A, a first grader, when he shows up on the scene, he doesn't know how to do algebra. She doesn't know how, how to do geometry. They don't know the higher math. But you know what? They start. And they start to learn numbers. And they start to learn addition. And they start to learn subtraction and division and multiplication. And it begins to grow and grow to when they get older, they know how to do geometry. They know how to do algebra. And then when you get to my age, you forget it all. <laughs> but the truth is, they eventually get there. And guys, the same is true of the Bible. It requires the discipline of study. To understand the Bible, we must become students of it. Every single one of us. Now, we all may not be like Pastor Josh. But the truth is, the more and more we study it, the more and more we will understand and know what God's revelation to us is and what His purposes for mankind are. And, 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 you know, here's what I find amazing, is the more and more we study, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but the more and more I study and I learn about the Bible, you know really what I feel? The more and more I realize I don't know. It's crazy. As I study and dig into the Word of God, the more I realize that, oh my word, I don't know this, and I don't know this, and I don't know this. And that can be overwhelming, but for me that's exciting. Because it just never ends. And I think for eternity, we're going to be learning. We must be students of the Bible. The more we study, guys, this is just a natural fact, the more we study, the more we will grow in knowledge. And so as you continue to study more and more, the more you're going to grow in knowledge of the Bible. And guys, that is so important as a follower of Jesus Christ. We must grow in knowledge. But once again, this is where the enemy can rear his ugly head. Because here's wrong approach number two. We can approach the Bible this way. The more I know about the Bible, the better Christian I am. Once you begin to grow in knowledge with the Bible, it's very easy to start thinking that knowledge equals maturity. The enemy will try to tell you, if you start to grow in knowledge, the enemy will try to tell you, man, you really know a lot about the Bible. You really are a man of God. You really are a woman of God. In fact, so much so is this a reality that in Christianity so often, we will judge somebody's walk with God by how much knowledge they have of the Bible. If they know a lot then they must be mature men and women of God. If they don't know very much, they must not be. We judge them on what they know. But listen to me, Whitestone. Knowledge of the Scriptures does not necessarily equal maturity. Knowing a lot about the Bible does not automatically mean you have a deep relationship with God. In fact, you can know the Scriptures inside and out and still fail to know and experience Jesus. Happens all the time. You know, I, I tell this story in my discipleship classes, but I was hired as a pastor, as a youth pastor here at Whitestone, at Countryside. Really, because I knew a lot about the Bible. 
And because I knew a lot about the Bible, not a ton, but I knew enough about the Bible that people thought, wow, Luke really, he must be a real man of God. So I was hired as a youth pastor. But you want to know the reality? That my interior life, my life of walking with Jesus was pathetic. But I knew a lot. And in Christianity, very often, knowing a lot is equated to maturity. Guys, that's, that is nowhere close to being true. Because look at, look at the Pharisees. Pay attention to the Pharisees. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Look what he says. He goes, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Now, these are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. These guys knew the Scriptures inside and out, and yet they didn't even recognize the one whom the Scriptures were talking about. And he was standing right in front of them. They knew the Scriptures, but they didn't know Jesus. And it's great to grow in our knowledge of the Scriptures, but the whole point of growing in knowledge is to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Knowing the Scripture, knowing the Scriptures are simply a means to the end. And the end is knowing Jesus more. It is not the end. Listen to me. It's great to grow in knowledge in the Bible, but don't let it at any point distract you from growing in your relationship with Jesus. Knowledge can easily puff you up. It can. So be very, very careful about that, okay? Another wrong approach to the Bible is to think that simply by reading it, you're growing in your relationship with God. We, we think that reading the Bible automatically deepens my relationship with God. And let me explain. Some of you guys might be able to identify with me on this. For so much of my life, reading the Bible was really just what a Christian did. It was you know, kind of like going to church. It was a common practice. When, when, when someone would become a Christian, guess what they were often told? Well, you really need to pour yourself into the Bible. It is God's little instruction book for your life, and you need to pour yourself into it. So every Christian I knew felt the deep need that we needed to be reading the Bible. In fact, I remember while growing up that if I was regularly reading the Bible, I felt like I was a really good Christian. But if I wasn't regularly reading the Bible, I was a really bad Christian. In fact, people would come up to me and say, so Luke, how's your walk with God going? And, and I, in my mind, I would go, well, I haven't read the Bible in like two weeks, so I'd go, well, actually, it's not going so well. I just, I need to get back into the Word. I haven't been reading the Bible very much. Or if I was reading a lot, people would ask me, how's your walk with God doing? I'm like, dude, it's awesome. I've been in the Bible every single day. I've been reading every day just faithfully. It's been amazing. And people are like, that's awesome, Luke. That's great. You're in the Word of God. And my walk with God was often judged by how often I read the Bible, which when you think about it, is so ridiculous. That would be me, like me asking someone, so how's your marriage going? And they tell me, well, I have been faithfully reading a chapter every morning from a marriage book called His Needs, Her Needs. And then at night, I read a, you know, a chapter from the book Seven Principles of a Healthy Marriage, and I do the small group questions after each chapter. So my marriage is going great. You see how dumb that is? So what if you read these books every day? How is your marriage going? Just because you read these books does not mean that your marriage is, is going good. Reading automatically doesn't, or reading doesn't automatically equate to a healthy marriage. And guys, the same is true about reading the Bible. 
just because you read the Bible doesn't automatically mean you are growing in your relationship with God. Now, I realize this is an obvious point, and you might be sitting there going, Luke, this is obvious. You really didn't even need to mention this. But here's why I mention this. Because for a lot of us, our time in the Bible, if we even have one, let's be honest, our time in the Bible is just about reading a few chapters, and then we set it down, and we go on with our life. That's the extent of our Bible study. Or maybe you're, you're one of those people who you're wanting to read through the Bible in a year. And so you're on one of those little reading plans where you read you know, a few chapters in the Old Testament, a few chapters in Proverbs and Psalms, a few chapters in the Gospels, and a few chapters in the New Testament. And, and that every day that you have to read that. And, and you know, guys, I just want to say this right from the start. If, if that's what you're doing, fantastic. I do not want to knock reading through the Bible in one year. That's a great thing. We should all read through the Bible at some point in our life and probably several times in our life. But here's the deal. For most of us, at the end of the year, all we will be able to say is, I read through the Bible in a year. That's it. It often is about trying to get through our daily reading so that we can say we did it. And and if you're like me, if you get behind in those daily readings, like, you know, if you have a sick day or if you get busy or you have to travel to work and you get behind, you start to realize, oh my word, I've got to read 20 chapters in the Old Testament, 20 chapters in Proverbs, 20 in the Gospels, and 20 in the... So, so you sit down and you're like, you know, you're doing the speed reading, like, so that you can get done, so you can get caught up. Guys, listen to me. Unless we come to the written Word of God, the Bible, to experience the living Word of God, Jesus, we're just doing homework. It's just something that we have to do to check off the list. And we cannot approach the Bible in that way. We must learn to encounter the living God in our Bible study because that's who's going to change us. Not our reading. It's, it's, the, it's the living word that's going to change us, not the written word. So remember that. Fourth approach to the Scripture, wrong approach to the Scripture, is to treat the Bible like it's a Ouija board. You guys might be going, what? How in the world do we do that? You know what a Ouija board is, is where you kind of you say, who am I going to get married to? And you, a bunch of people are there, and you're kind of, mm-hmm, you come, M, O, T, H, moth, I don't know, whatever. And, you know, you, you follow them because you're, you're summoning the spirits to answer that question. And guys, we cannot treat the Bible like that. Because the Bible often can be used to magically answer all my questions. And guys, I will say that this is more common in the Christian world than I would like to admit. It blows me away how many older, seemingly mature Christians will still do this today. And what I found is that, sorry, many of the people who do this are the people who have a hard time believing that God will speak to us directly. 
And because they can't come to grips that God can speak to us directly, they will tell you that God only speaks to us through his word. That's the only way he will speak to us. And guys, I just want to say, yes, God does speak to us through his word. But like I said last week, not all questions are answered by the Bible. Like, the Bible doesn't tell me who I'm supposed to get married to. The Bible doesn't tell me which job I'm supposed to take, this one or that one. The Bible doesn't tell me where I'm supposed to move, you know, and live. The Bible doesn't tell me those things. So what am I supposed to do about that? Well, what some of these people, the people who tell you that God only speaks through the Bible, what they will often do is that they will ask God a question, and then they will look in the Bible to see what answer pops up. And often, they'll do it like this. Let's just pretend, let's say that the elders were all coming to God and were asking God, God, should we build a new building for Whitestone? Should we build a new building? And we go, okay, God only speaks to us through His words, so we go. And we open to Philippians 3, verse 12, and we go, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. We go, hmm. I think what God wants us to do is to forget about the old building and push forward and build a new building. It's pretty clear. Or what if, by chance, we open to Malachi and we see this, Malachi chapter 1, verse 4, but... This is what the Lord Almighty says. And we're like, oh, it'd be good. They may build, but I will demolish. (laughs) And they will be called the wicked land. A people always under the wrath of God. We'd be going, ooh, maybe we shouldn't build. And is all this land that we have going to be the wicked land? You see what I'm saying? The Bible is not a Ouija board. Don't treat it like one. It is not some book to do magic tricks with. The Bible provides clear guidance for how we're to seek the Lord, and it involves the human heart, the human mind, the human soul, not magic tricks. You know, I recently heard about a young guy who he, uh, he wasn't that good-looking, Actually, let's just be honest, he was ugly, and he fell in love with this one girl that was way out of his league. A lot of us guys know what that's like. And it was just way out of his league, and so he kept trying to come up to her and like, hey, man, do you want to go out? Can we go out? And I just, I just love you, and I, I just think I'm going to marry you one day. And she's like, okay, you know, that's just weird. No, you're weird, and stay away from me and whatnot. And, and so, but she was a, a, a godly woman, and so she's like, God... This weirdo keeps coming up to me, and his, you know, his name is Tim, his name is Timothy, and, and Timothy wants me to marry him, and he wants me to date him, and I don't know what to do, and I, I just, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but God, what should I do? And so she did this. And she happened to turn to Philippians chapter 2, and she pointed to verse 19, and it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And guess what? She married him. Because that was God's answer to her. Now, I can't believe that a woman would actually get married based on that experience, but she did. 
She was treating the Bible like a Ouija board, trying to get answers from God by magically turning the pages. Now, could God answer someone by this method? Of course He could. He can do whatever He wants. But the Bible isn't to be used as a Ouija board to summon the Spirit of God to answer our questions. We cannot approach the Bible in that way. Another wrong approach to the Bible is to assume that what you believe is right and filter the Bible through that. In other words, you filter the Bible through your life experience. In other words, your life experience is the filter and you put the Bible through that filter. And here's what's wrong with that. The truth is, we all think that our viewpoint or what we believe or our life experience is right. We're right. And so very often when it comes to Scripture, we automatically filter the Scripture through our experience. And then what we do is we'll look through the Scriptures to try to find something to prove that we're right. You ever seen this been done? Happens all the time. I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but here's an example. Uh, in the Civil War, the South used the Bible to back up why they were going to war. You know, obviously the South was known for slavery. The white slave owners used slaves to do their work, and they based their livelihood by taking advantage of other human beings and, and, and degrading them and all these horrific things. But that was their experience. And what's absolutely crazy is that they actually used the Bible to try to prove that they were right. They filtered the Bible through their experience. They felt that because Paul taught you know, Christian slaves how to treat their masters, and that the Bible even mentioned slavery, that this was their God-given right. So before the war, thousands of Bibles were handed out to the Confederate soldiers and, and told that they were fighting for their God-given rights as slave owners. And they marched into war. Here's my point. We can be as wrong as can be, but in our pride, we will use anything we can to prove that we are right, even the Bible. Happens all the time. It is so easy to read Scripture and then filter it through what I've experienced. We can read the Scripture and it says, the Scripture says, forgive all who have sinned against you. And we go, well, <laughs> obviously it's not all. <laughs> because there's some sins that are just... I shouldn't let them off the hook. So obviously that's not what the Scripture's talking about. And then we'll try to use different verses to try to prove our point. Assuming that what we've experienced is right. When in all reality it may be dead wrong. Guys, the truth is, we must filter our viewpoints and our experiences through what the Bible says, not the other way around. We must humbly and repentantly approach the Scriptures admitting to the fact that we might be wrong. And that's hard to do. But if we approach the Scriptures like that, the Spirit of God will gently teach us and we will grow. Remember, help me out here. God pours out His grace on the humble. But He opposes the proud. And so guys, if we approach His Scriptures, His Word humbly and repentantly, 
He will pour out His grace upon us. He will pour out His power upon us and He'll honor us with that. Now there's one last wrong approach to the Bible and it's a very simple one and yet it's a very serious one. And it's one that many of us in this room struggle with. Wrong approach number six is I don't read the Bible at all. Now, number six really isn't an approach at all, but it is a reality for many of us. You know, I, I would venture to guess that there is a large number of people in this room who haven't picked up their Bible this week, who haven't picked up their Bible in the last month, who maybe haven't even picked up their Bible in the last year. Now, you may, when I say pass out Bibles, you know, I'll raise my hand and you touch the Bible then. But in your personal life, you don't open the Bible. And, and I realize there's, there's a lot of reasons and excuses for that. I'm too busy. I don't understand it. It's boring. I've got a hundred other things that I'd rather be doing. I grew up being told that I shouldn't study the Bible. That's a job for the priests or the pastors. I mean, I don't, I don't know what your reason is for not reading the Bible. I know there's thousands of them. But here's the deal, and and listen to me, pay attention to me this morning. You absolutely have to be in the Word of God to grow as a child of God. The Bible will be a key element, a key pillar in your walk of faith. And, And if you choose not to study it, and to not dig into it, you will be handicapped. You just will. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Guys, Scripture... God's Word is useful for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for how much good work? Every good work. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want to live righteously? Of course you do. Do you want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work? Of course you do. Then you must be a studier of the Word of God because it is Scripture that will equip you to do so. It's that simple. You must be a studier of the God-breathed Scriptures. Amen? Okay, so there are six wrong approaches to the Bible. They are simple, and yet they're profound. And I have to say that if we approach the Bible in any of these ways, it will stunt our growth. We won't experience you know, growth. The Word of God will not be life-giving to us as it should be. You know what the truth is? Every single one of us in this room, at one time or another, have struggled with coming to the Word of God with these approaches. In fact, many of us struggle with some of these right now in our life. And so here's your homework. Going into the next week, I want you to sit down with the Holy Spirit, and I want you to ask Him which of these you're doing when it comes to the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit where you might be approaching the Bible in a faulty manner. And guys, as you do so, be humble. 
Be repentant. Allow Him to teach you. And when He reveals it to you, confess it to Him. Say, man, I'm so sorry. And then ask Him to teach you how to correctly approach the Bible in a life-giving way. And then learn from it. Amen? That's your homework. And guys, as I mention every week, take your homework seriously. Do it. Because we want to be men and women who grow and walk by faith. Real, practical faith. Not just in theory. Real, down-to-earth, living, breathing, breathing faith. So take it seriously. And grow in this. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in the room today. I thank you for their lives. I thank you that they're here this morning. It's no accident. It's no coincidence. And God, it is your desire that they grow closer and closer and closer to you. So God, I pray that each person in this room, may they grow in an intimate relationship with you by their study in the Word of God. May they not get hung up with all these faulty approaches, but may they come at it in a life-giving way so that they may grow closer with you, Jesus. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our King and our Savior. Amen.